A few years, Karen and I, a few years ago, Karen and I had a holiday around Cairns in far north Queensland. Uh, and one of the things we noticed uh, was the number of housing developments or holiday apartments or holiday resorts that were selling the lifestyle. Uh, and so we'd see on these big billboards slogans like, Paradise Found. Uh, the complete lifestyle, you deserve it. Your search ends here. The perfect blend of tranquility and luxury. And behind the writing, there'd be this uh, background of idyllic pictures of sunsets or glasses of champagne. There was always two. There was never just one glass of champagne. There was always two. Uh, or delicious meals or romantic couples or luxurious houses. It's a very clever marketing strategy because it's exactly what people are searching for, the perfect life. Uh, Whether it's locals or tourists, everyone wants paradise. They want that rich, satisfying, pleasurable, complete life. Whether it's the perfect relationship or the perfect house with the great view or the perfect golf course or the boat or the fishing or the diving or the parties or the food or the luxury. And to be honest, there's a fair bit of that sort of thing to be found. It's a gorgeous part of the world. But the reality, of course, is it's just a mirage. It's a mist, an impossible, unrealistic dream. You reach out to grab what's being advertised on the billboards and it just slips through your fingers. You experience it for a moment, a holiday for a week or two, but then you have to come back to your normal life. Uh, Or maybe you buy into the dream and and you move there. But then you find that what you're searching for in... uh, But but then you find what you're searching for in one area of life, but you miss out on the rest. Maybe you buy the house, but then you can't get a job to pay the mortgage. Or perhaps you get the house, but then your marriage breaks down because of the pressure to pay the mortgage... Or maybe the kids hate you because you've moved them there and they don't want to be there. And you're miserable all on your own in this great big house. Or maybe you get the job Monday to Friday but you can't find any friends to spend the weekend with. Or you get the whole lifestyle but then you get chronically sick and you can't enjoy it. Or maybe you actually get everything you want but when you finally get it, Well, it never quite satisfies the way you imagined it would. It's a mirage. I think most people, if they're honest with themselves, recognise all of that. And yet here in this passage, Jesus comes up with a sales pitch any marketing executive would be proud of. Verse 10, he says, I have come that they, my sheep, may have life and have it to the full. He's promising life that's abundant extraordinary, remarkable, top draw, top 1%. It really is a claim straight out of the pages of a lifestyle magazine. It's a big claim. It's certainly an attractive one. What does Jesus mean by it? And can he actually deliver on it? And if he can, is it a life that lasts? And does it satisfy? The first thing to notice about John chapter 10 is that it comes after chapter 9, which is not terribly Intelligence, apart from chapter 9 being one where it finishes with Jesus criticising the Pharisees and the religious leaders and calling them blind and guilty and sinful. 
for a group who are supposed to be looking after and leading God's people, they're hopeless. And so Jesus' claim to deliver abundant life is a contrast with the leaders who are delivering the very opposite. And so as we listen to Jesus' description about two sorts of shepherds, it's obvious who the bad shepherds are, the ones Jesus is criticising. Look there in verse 1. I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. He's pointing to the Pharisees. They're the ones who jump over the wall looking to steal some sheep. They're the jolly swag men with jumbucks in their tucker bags. They're more concerned with feeding on lamb chops than they are on providing feed for the sheep. And as far as leaders go, human leaders, it's not that unusual really, is it? It's the sort of thing leaders have been doing all the way through human history. Taking advantage of the people they're supposed to be looking after. In the news, just in the last week, I did a Google search, corruption, government. Just in the last week, on news, we've seen charges of corruption against former South African President Jacob Zuma. We've seen in Austria a corruption scandal that's brought down the government and forced fresh elections. And over half of Madagascar's National Assembly has been accused of corruption by the country's anti-corruption agency. Now that's just in the last week. It was no different in Israel. As Jesus rebukes the blindness and the self-centredness of the leaders of his time, It's an image and a picture he's taken straight out of the Old Testament because the Pharisees are simply the latest in a long line of false, bad shepherds. Uh, Ezekiel 34, God blasts the leaders of Ezekiel's time. Now this is 500 years before Jesus. Uh, They're doing exactly the same thing. They're looking after themselves rather than the sheep. Uh, There from verse 2, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Shouldn't shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock. You haven't strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You haven't brought back the strays or searched for the lost. God's judging them. And so God promises in this chapter of Ezekiel that he himself will search for his sheep. He'll look after them. He'll rescue them from wherever they're lost. But then a few verses further on, he promises that he's going to send a human shepherd, a son of David, to look after them. Look there in verse 23. I'll place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he'll tend them. He'll tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then 500 years later, God keeps that promise. He sends Jesus, a son of David, to be God's shepherd king. And he says in verse 14 of John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And as he talks about his leadership style, 
The picture is a little different uh, from that of sheep stations in Australia uh, where the farmer drives the huge mob of sheep in front of him while he rides behind on a motorbike or a quad bike swearing at the dumb sheep who who won't go where they're supposed to go. Probably there's lots of dogs as well who are trying to herd the sheep around, snapping and barking. But that's not the way it was in Palestine. Even today, shepherds look after small flocks Uh, and when night comes, they're they're penned up in this stone-walled compound, probably along with uh, all the flocks in the village. Uh, Most of the shepherds go home One watchman is rostered on to to watch them all and he sleeps in front of the doorway. One door in, one door out. Morning comes, each shepherd turns up, he walks to the gate, walks through the gate, calls his sheep, his sheep, hear his voice and then they follow after him out for the rest of the day to grass and water. And the ones who don't know his voice, they stay behind and wait for their shepherd. And Jesus says that's like him. He looks out on humanity and he knows the sheep who are his. You see it there in verse 2. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Jesus is saying that if you're a Christian... Even before you were a Christian, before you were following him, he looked out across the great expanse of humanity, across the vast uh, time and he knew that you were one of his. And then at a certain point in time, at just the right time, he called you and he said, come and follow me. Well, how did Jesus know which sheep were his? How did he know who to call? Well, the simple answer, Jesus says, is because they're the ones the Father gave him. They're the ones the Father gave him. If you jump down to verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. So it works something like this. God the Father knows his sheep. And then he gives them to God the Son. Then the Son calls them and they hear his voice and then the Son gives them eternal life. It sounds quite simple really, doesn't it, when you put it like that? But boy, there's been lots of disagreements about how this actually works on the ground over church history. But perhaps you're thinking, well, that's fine, Dave, for Jesus to know the sheep who are his, but... But how can I know? How can I know as I'm evangelising whether this person belongs to Jesus or that person does? Or maybe you're asking, how can I know if I'm one of Jesus' sheep? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. And it cuts through, once again, quite simply, in a lot of, a lot of the difficulties that, that people have with this idea. Here it is. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, if he's chosen you and called out your name, then... Look at what happens. Verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. How can you know if you're chosen? How can you know if you're one of the elect? Well, if 
You can, uh, you're one of God's elect, one of his sheep, if you've heard his voice and you're following him. If you've heard Jesus' voice and you're following him, which means if you're trusting him with the decisions of your life. You're trusting him for your salvation. If you're living with him as your king and imitating him and walking after him and choosing his way over yours. That's the test. And the flip side is that you won't choose other voices to listen to. There in verse 5, Jesus says, but they, my sheep, will never follow a stranger, another shepherd. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognise a stranger's voice. In our lives, there are all sorts of voices that call out to us to guide us in one way or the other. Here's how you spend your money. Here's how to spend your time. Here's what counts. Here's what's right. Public opinion, the media, politicians, academia, peer pressure, family expectations, employers, all sorts of alternative spiritualities and religions and philosophies, all sorts of promises about, what, about what's right and good and true. But if you're one of Jesus' sheep, then it's his voice found in the Bible that will ring loudest and clearest and truest. And that's the voice that you'll follow. So if that's your question, how can I know if I'm a chosen sheep? Well, ask yourself that other question. Is this me? Have I heard Jesus' voice? Does it ring true? Am I following him? And am I trusting him? Am I trusting him with my life? And am I choosing not to listen to other voices that I hear? If you can answer yes, honestly answer yes to those questions, then you can have every confidence that you're one of his sheep, one of those chosen by God. It's a very cool promise, don't you think? Well, that's the first part of what it means to live this abundant life Jesus offers. Listen for his voice, concentrate on it and follow it. When you follow the good shepherd like that, it leads to a remarkable and rich life where just like a good shepherd with sheep, uh, there's safety and security and direction. Well, the next part of living the abundant life that we come across is that we're saved by Jesus. Uh, look there from verse 7. Jesus sort of tweaks the metaphor a bit. He's the shepherd who comes out of the gate and calls the sheep, but in a sense he's also the gate. He's also the door that the sheep have to pass through. There's only one way out, uh, one way to go if you want to live life. Uh, And Jesus is that gate. Verse 9, he says, I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. So this abundant life is about being saved. He'll come in and go out and find pasture. Then he goes on to describe what the sheep are being saved from. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's who Jesus is protecting his sheep from, from death, from destruction. He's the gate. The sheep go through him and they go out to live, to to live abundant life with food and water like sheep. And they go through the the shepherd back into the pen and uh, find safe rest. And for sheep that sounds like a pretty good life, uh, which is what Jesus then goes on to say in verse 10. Uh, Jesus brings this ultimate, abundant, remarkable life 
Now, the sort of life he offers to us when we go through him, he goes on to explain what that means to go through him as the gate. It's a costly life though, this abundant life. Uh, it's not a cost that you or I bear though, it's a cost that the shepherd bears. Look there in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's a little like a human shepherd who might risk his life to protect the sheep from animals or thieves. But here Jesus is not just risking his life, he's losing it. He's thinking ahead to the cross, his life sacrificed in our place. That's what it means that he is the gate that we must go through. We are saved by means of that death. And then he compares himself to the hired hand who doesn't care for his sheep. They're not his sheep. But here we see why Jesus would give up his life because they're his sheep. He knows them, he cares for them, he lays down his life for them. But notice too that he's not forced into it. He's not surprised by some big scary lion and he's sort of attacked and dies. It's not a weak defeat, he chooses this. Down in verse 17 he says, The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord, my own free will. It's a lovely idea, a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep but it's not much use if he dies for his sheep leaving them helpless and unprotected. That's not much of a salvation, is it? But that's not what Jesus the shepherd does. Look at the rest of verse 18. That's only half the story that he lays down his life. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Authority to take it up again. Jesus doesn't stay dead. He doesn't leave his sheep unprotected. He takes up his life again. He's raised to life, powerful, death-defeating, vindicated, still alive, still speaking his voice to his sheep, still giving them abundant life and saving them. And it's that that sets Jesus' voice apart from other voices you might hear, other shepherds, because they have been or will be defeated by death. They're promising something big but they're promises that come up short, just like those billboards in far north Queensland. They'll ultimately disappoint. And it's what sets apart the abundant life Jesus offers as well because he doesn't just defeat death for himself, he defeats death for us as well. That's the third aspect of this abundant life. Jesus wins over death and he offers us the same thing, eternal life. Life that is death defeating. But that's not all. Uh, The fourth part of the abundant life Jesus offers is that it's a safe life. Once you're in the flock, you're secure. Maybe that's a question you've asked at one time or another. Is it possible for a Christian to fall away? Is it possible for a Christian to fall away? Perhaps you've been worried about yourself or maybe someone that you know. We probably all know people who at one time looked like they were Christians but then turned their back on it. And if we are honest with ourselves, we know how fickle we are and how easily, temp- how easily tempted we are, how quickly we give in to temptation or lose our enthusiasm. 
if it all depended on our own ability to keep following Jesus, there would be a genuine cause to worry, wouldn't there? It would be if it was me. And so Jesus reassures us. Jump down to verse 25. It's a later point in time, but the theme's the same, and so John, the Gospel writer, has grouped these two sections together. Uh, It's a later feast, and he's arguing with the Jews, and in verse 26 he says, You do not believe because you are not my sheep. But then he talks about his sheep, and he says, verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Those are things that he told us in the earlier encounter. But then he goes on, verse 28, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. They're wonderful words, great comfort. Those who are truly Jesus' sheep, those who hear his voice and are following him, he gives eternal life to. That's in the present tense. He gives. They have life now. When he calls them and they hear his voice, they're born again and they begin the life of eternity at that moment. The abundant life, full and rich and true. Life, that's the beginning and the taste of an eternal life, life that will live, uh, that will go on forever. And Jesus says once you've got that life, you can't lose it. You can't be unborn again. No one can snatch you out of Jesus' hand or out of the Father's hand who's greater than anyone who would try and steal you. And if you're worried whether you are born again, ask yourself those questions. Have I heard Jesus' voice? Do I trust him? Am I following him? Am I ignoring other voices? And if you answer yes to those questions, then you can have a pretty sure confidence that Jesus is a good shepherd who will hold on to you and never let you go. And the life that you have is safe with him. Because it is all about him. It's not about you. He's called you. He's died for you. He promises to never let you go. So live out a life that he's won for you. Follow his voice. Let me close by asking you a question. It's actually question one of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's all about the joy of being one of Jesus' sheep. Uh, The joy of sheep, the joy of abundant life, Uh, this life that's far better than some advertising slogan. So I'm going to read the question and uh, we're all going to read the answer together. Uh, And as you read it aloud, dwell on those words and, and make them your words. So question one of the Heidelberg Catechism, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Saviour, Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, has fully paid for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil. He preserves me so that unless my Heavenly Father decides Not even a hair can fall from my head. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live for him. Amen.